The talk this morning is titled "The Reality of Evil." Um, I just have a song for us, uh, which perfectly describes uh, how this generation actually relates to evil and uh, and its power. So, can we can we uh, the AV team could you just play that song, please? talk about evil uh our generation i mean this is not a christian song this is not uh this is imagine dragons how many imagine dragons fans here yeah a couple of them and this is how he's articulating it this guy is coming to a realization that this is dark side inside of him and uh, through the song he realizes that it is woven into his very fabric it's it's his life now and and uh, uh he says i can't escape this now but he's also looking for a way out unless you show me how um and the the passage we're going to be looking at this morning uh will talk about evil uh it's actually a pretty uh, horror movie uh which happened in the bible uh how many horror movie fans here how many fans yeah let's just dive straight and i'm pretty sure god wants to talk to us through this passage as well shall we read the passage together it's it's from the uh, book of mark chapter 5 verses 1 to 15 it's a very interesting story uh, if made into a movie will do really well <laughs> they went across the lake to the region of jerasenes when jesus got out of the boat a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him now do me a favor even as we read this picture this you are making a movie right bring the director inside of you you are making this movie picture this with me when a, when jesus got out of the boat a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him any more not even with a chain for he had been chained hand and foot but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet no one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones when he saw jesus from a distance he ran and fell on his knees in front of him he shouted at the top of his voice what do you want with me jesus son of the most high god in god's name don't torture me for jesus had said to him come out of this man you impure spirit then jesus asked him what is your name my name is legion how many have seen uh, the exorcism of emily rose do you remember this my name is legion for he replied for we are many and he begged jesus again and again not to send them out of the area a large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside 
the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission for, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down from the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Allow me to just pray before we go in. Jesus, we want to thank you because you don't just have power, you are power. Um, just as we worship this morning, thank you for reminding us the power in your name uh, that, that can set any darkness, uh, that can tremble any darkness, any evil. And this morning, even as we read through this passage, would you speak to our hearts? Would you protect me? Would you protect us, even as we hear your powerful word this morning, speak to each of us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. How was the movie inside your head? Was it good? The, 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 the framework for the talk is as follows. First, first, we're going to be looking at the presence of evil. The secondly, we're going to be looking at the power of evil. And then third, we'll end it with the plight of evil, the eventual plight of evil. Let's look at the presence of evil. It says, when Jesus got out of the boat, this man who lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, uh, for he had often been chained hand and foot, and he broke those chains. He broke the irons on his feet, and he would scream day and night and cut himself with stones. Now, this passage is clearly talking about demonic possession. Um, and I know when we hear that, our first response is, well, I'm definitely not demon-possessed. Neither do I know people in my circles who are demon-possessed. Is this even true? I mean, I don't think this is for me. Um, stay on with me for a moment, uh, and we'll probably, uh, I'll probably be able to engage our hearts with the help of Jesus. Now, I had two questions while I was wrestling, uh, uh, that I was wrestling with throughout my prep. The first question is, why did I pick this passage? <laughs> what was I thinking? The second question is, if this sort of dramatic engagement with the spiritual world uh, is, is not common to us, what is God trying to speak to us to sane right-minded, intelligent people of today. What is God trying to speak to us from this? I'm sure you're wrestling with that too. In thinking like this, I actually followed the trail of my thought um, and, and I actually realized we often err in two different ways when it comes to handling this subject. The first one is probably not so common to us where people are completely obsessed with it and are proactively trying to engage with the demonic and the spiritual world with all these activities, uh, uh, Ouija board, and, and uh, yeah, we, we, we know of people who've done that. And that is one way to err with this. And that is clearly one way to err, even in our minds. The second and the equally wrong way is, and I'm pretty sure all of us are guilty with it, is to completely ignore this and not care about it is to be completely absorbed 
and be engaged by the material and physical world around us. And living in a city like Bombay, you, you must be wondering, dude, I don't even have time to engage with my family. Like, I meet my friends only on the weekend. There's no time for me to be even aware of what's happening. There's so many demons in my office, my colleagues, dude. Right? This is one equal but opposite way in which we are. We completely live and functionally exist as if the spiritual world doesn't exist. Dramatic Bible narratives like this force us to think and ponder on the fact that there is a spiritual world. And it brings me alive to that reality. It makes me alive spiritually. So what then is the right way to deal with this? Um, the right way is, is the third way where we don't overemphasize it or where we don't underemphasize it. Um, let's take a shot at, the, uh, at this this morning. Now factually, the Bible has many instances of engaging with the spiritual and evil. Um, in fact, in the very ministry of Jesus, it begins by Jesus spending 40 days in the desert before he started any of his work being actually tempted by the devil. And he overcomes that. And it ends with Jesus on the cross forever defeating evil and the devil once and for all. And not just that. Throughout the narrative of Jesus' life on earth, the Gospels mention at least six instances of Jesus actually healing people and setting them free from the, possess, uh, the possession of the demonic. If it is so important in the Bible, it is not just a contextual thing, it is important to us today as well. Should I switch? Now, what's the context in which we find this passage? This is just Jesus starting off his ministry and uh, he, he gathers his disciples. And just before this, as I was sharing in the call to worship, his disciples who are mostly fishermen are in the boat with him. And, and uh, there's a storm uh, that comes and they are rattled by the storm. Now, these, these people are not mere uh, professionals and artists who work in fancy offices. These are fishermen who are used to storms in the sea. And it rattled them. And Jesus just speaks to the storm and says, Quiet, be still. And the storm subsides. And the disciples are like, Who is this guy? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And right when they finish that episode, they get off this and picture this with me. This evil guy who is probably bleeding, who is naked, comes running towards them, yelling, ah, and comes to Jesus and he's like... What do you want from me? I mean, picture all of this. Jesus is definitely bringing his disciples alive to the spiritual world through all of this. My question this morning is, how alive are we to the spiritual world? Engage with me on this thought a little bit more um, as, I, as I draw what it actually means to us today. Let me talk about two aspects of the spiritual world this morning. The two aspects that I want to deal with this morning, uh, the first thing is sin and the second thing is evil. Now, these are not mere human concepts. Uh, these, are crea uh, these are spiritual concepts purely because we are all created in the image of God. And evil and sin are two things that corrupt 
this image. Sin is an internal degeneration of our God image. Whereas evil is an external attack on our God image. These are two spiritual things. At New City, we address a lot about sin. We talk about sin and and surely enough, we're going to be talking about sin even today. But we probably haven't explored the, the presence of external evil as much as internal sin. And And passages like this force us to address it. Force us for us to come alive to this. And today we're going to be talking about more about external evil, of course, without ignoring internal sin. Now, here's what generally happens. Because we live as if the spiritual world doesn't exist, we tend to have a very shallow definition of evil. Because we see it as a mere physical and earthly concept. Only when we see a physical repercussion on people around us, in, in, in the people around us, in the world around us, in the city around us, then we call it, oh God, what evil. We reduce the definition to merely human-caused events. We call it evil when we see people brutally murdered and abused, um, or they're persecuted, or their basic human rights are violated. We're probably looking at all that's happening in Delhi right now and saying that is evil. That is evil. Now, evil is not merely a reality of the physical world. It is a reality of the spiritual world. When we open our eyes to that, this is going to hit home. When we open our eyes to that, we will probably realize that who we are on the inside is not very different from the image of the man that we see in that passage. Hurting, broken, bruised, crying for help, unable to help ourselves. Allow me to share something that happened two weeks ago that really kind of brought me spiritually alive. Um, Taru and I have been successfully married for, I say successfully because nowadays it it is a success, uh, for about a year and three months. And if you asked me how did, how the journey was, I would say, hey, it was good. I mean, look at us. I, I, we didn't kill each other. I didn't hurt her. She didn't hurt me. We're doing fine. Um, and, and, uh, it's, it's been a good time. And, and, uh, and even in our conflicts, when both of us fight, that's the posture I take. I'm literally like, you don't know what you've got. I mean, look at the people around you will know what you have is good. But two weeks ago, I was in this session called Gospel-Centered Marriage. Um, and, and God really shook my heart through that session. And it helped me see how terrible a husband I am. And all of this was because of one question. The trainer forced us, in fact exhorted us, to ask our wives this question. Honestly, what is it like to be married to me? If you're married, I'm pretty sure asking that question to your spouse is going to scare you. If you're in a relationship, you have a taste of that already. And when he asked that question, I was shaken. I was like, I am not ready for this. I can't 
take this answer purely because it will get me to face the man on the inside who is hurting, who is messed up, who is broken, who is bruised, crying desperately for help. Now, in ignoring that question, I was ignoring two realities. Firstly, is the depravity of my own sinfulness in this. Secondly, the devil is under constant pursuit of anything God created. Marriage, work, anything that God created for good, the devil is trying to attack. And my marriage is under attack by the evil. Now there are two errors that we often come uh, that as we commit. The first thing is to say it is just me, it is my sinfulness and gloat in self-pity. The second thing is to not take any responsibility for it and say it's it's the devil bro. It's it's not me at all. It's it's the evil. I mean the world is evil. How can I help? Now these are two equal and opposite errors. The right way is hold it in balance and recognize your own sinfulness and recognize how the evil is using your own sinfulness to attack you and your marriage. I am still scared to ask that question. I'm going to probably pray and do some fasting prayer to ask you guys to pray before I ask that question. Now my question today is, how are we ignorant of the work of evil around us. In our workplace. In our family. In our neighborhood. In our city. In our country. These are all God created things. How are we ignorant of what the evil is at work in all of this? This verse in the Bible, uh, there, there is constant encouragement for the community of Christ followers to be aware of the work of the evil one. Uh, writing to one such church, Peter, a follower of Jesus, writes this. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Who else in the Bible this imagery is used for? Jesus. But here, the scripture is also asking us to be aware of the power of the evils. He says, he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In being unaware of the presence of evil, we end up undermining the power of evil. And this morning, this passage is asking us to come alive to this. What is the power of evil? I mean, look at the passage. By any means, did this man lack power? He was chained But he broke his chains. He was a chain breaker. He had iron on his feet, but he broke them. He broke iron. They tried to put him down in chains, but he ran out. He was kind of free. No one could subdue him. Now, here's the thing. 
here's the thing. Uh, and in fact, in describing the evil, he calls it, the, I am legion. Legion is a Roman, um, Roman military term, termed for 6,000 foot soldiers and 120 horsemen. That's the kind of power he was talking about. Here's the thing. Let's be very careful. Evil gives us the illusion of power and freedom, which only empowers and frees us to destroy our own selves. It meets us at our unhealthy need for power and freedom, at our absolute need for power and freedom. And it gives us an illusion of that. This guy wasn't weak by any means. He was strong. No one could bound him. But what was he using that freedom for? What was he using that power for? He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Now, when we are faced with Jesus and his power, irrespective of whether we, we are followers of Jesus or we are not followers of Jesus, we tend to have a similar reaction. I mean, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I, I hope you'll agree with me that we probably do know a lot, of, a lot about Jesus. If you've been coming to New City uh, regularly, we've heard about what the gospel is uh, week after week. Um, we, we, we know about Jesus, but probably because um, of our previous experiences with followers of Jesus or, um, or our own fears of if we embrace Jesus, what is this going to look like for me and my family? We tend to have and keep Jesus at a distance. We're comfortable like this. We come, we see, and we're like, okay, this, this, this close is good. Now, now here's the thing. If you're wondering in your heart, why am I not able to put my faith in Jesus this morning? Allow me to introduce someone who's probably at work. The Bible, again, talking about those who are not yet followers of Jesus, it says, in their case, the God of this world, which is evil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If you're wondering why am I not able to believe, why, why are these fears getting the better of me? There is a powerful force out there working night and day to ensure this happens. Now, here's the comfort for you. Jesus is much more powerful than the one who is at work. And this morning, probably Jesus is opening our eyes to see him in his full glory, in his full beauty, so that we can embrace him this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, doesn't this seem familiar to us? Whenever God is trying to address a touchy area of our life, through probably his word or people in his community, don't you all go, leave me alone. What do you want from me? Don't mess with me. Isn't this our reaction 
as well. This is not just because of our indwelling sin. Partly because of that, we shouldn't take our responsibility off. The devil tries his best to remove anything that comes in the way of our self-destruction. Now, realizing this should free us to run to our Savior more. Because though evil is infinitely more powerful than us. Our hope lies in the fact that our Savior is infinitely more powerful than evil. He that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, Christ has taken residence in your heart. Christ has taken residence in my heart. Now the question begs, The question begs, being aware of the power of evil and being aware of the power of our Savior, how often do we try and fight our battles in our own strength? Now, here's the realization that I had while prepping for this. The reason why I'm afraid to ask Taru that difficult question is because I'm trying to fix my marriage And fix my sin in my own strength. And I'm infinitely weak to do that. In fact, that question, that question is however designed for me to run to my savior. Who's victorious in saving my marriage, not just from my own sin, but from the attack of the evil one as well. The question is, how are we trying to fight our battles In our own strength. The best posture. A follower of Jesus can take. In a battle. Is the one on his or her knees. In front of the savior. Say Jesus. I am here. I need you. That's the best posture. We can take. How many of us have tried to fix problems at work. In our own strength. How many of us are trying to fix what happening, what's happening in our country by our own strength? How many of us have actually taken this to the Savior who has the power to defeat every evil that is in force on our country as well? How are we trying to fight our battles in our own strength? Let's find our hope from this passage as Jesus shows us what the eventual plight of evil is. Now, just with one command, just with one command, Jesus sets this man who is possessed by a legion of demons, just with one command, he sets him free. And and we see two pictures of this man in the passage. The first one is him naked, hurting, bleeding, messed up. And the second picture we see is him in his right mind, dressed. And, and, and dressed probably after a very long time. Sitting next to Jesus. What a transformation. What a transformation. But one aspect of the story is still intriguing. And kind of unsettling. And I'm pretty sure if, you're, if you've been reading this, you caught it already. If Jesus 
had the power to destroy evil. Why didn't he do just that? Why did he let the demons have their say? And, and if, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this question is troubling us. If Jesus is literally who he says he is, why is there evil in the world? Why did he let the evil have their wish in this passage? Now, Jesus didn't do this because of two reasons. The first is it was not yet time for the ultimate battle. And second, it was not the way in which he wanted to defeat the evil. Let's look at, let's look at the, the ways in which Jesus defeated evil and, and this is going to bring us, uh, and help us cling to our savior more. Firstly, Jesus defeated the devil with his perfect life. Before starting his work, we've, we've spoken about it. 40 days, Jesus was under constant temptation of the devil. He in fact gave him the temptation of absolute power. He said, if you bow to me, the entire kingdoms of the world is yours. Imagine someone giving us that. At the very first instance, world domination, bring it. I'm in. Jesus resisted that because he knew who he was. And throughout his life, he lived a sinless perfect life, unharmed, unaffected by the devil. Secondly, Jesus defeated the devil through his perfect death. Now, when Jesus was preparing to die, um, Peter, who, who is probably the closest disciple to Jesus and who is very much involved with Jesus through the thick of his ministry, he comes to Jesus and Jesus is telling them that this is what is going to happen. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. And, and this is all. He's explaining his salvation plan and Peter rebukes him. He in fact uh, takes Jesus aside and he says, far be it for, from you, Lord. He said that this shall never happen to you. Now look at what Jesus says. Jesus turned to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. The devil spoke to Jesus through his closest disciple. And Jesus stood that temptation. Now here's the final blow. Jesus didn't destroy the devil by power of brute destruction or a brute power. Jesus disarmed his greatest weapons against you and I. He disarmed his ability to look at us and condemn us and say, he is wretched. He is sinful. Here's the list. Here's all that he did. Jesus took it all upon himself. Jesus said, I'm going to take all the sin of mankind upon myself. I know I'm perfect. I know I'm sinless, but I'm going to take it all upon myself. I'm going to become sin for mankind. I am going to become sin. He's, he, he saw when, G, when God the Father saw Jesus, he looked at Jesus, Jesus as if he gave into all the temptations of the devil. 
because Jesus took our sins upon himself. And God the Father poured his just and furious wrath upon Jesus. The sentence is served. The devil is defeated. We are free forever. We are free forever. This, this, uh, this follower of Jesus called Paul in Colossians puts it perfectly in this verse. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the un- uncircumcision of your flesh, which ta- it's basically sinfulness, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And here's the beauty, friends. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he's talking about the devil and the evil in the world. He disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Here's the beauty, friends. If Jesus just by brute force destroyed the evil, we probably would have never come to know of our Savior's beauty. He claimed his victory through empathy. When he hung on that cross, remember the first picture of the man? Broken, bruised, hurting, bleeding. Jesus identified with that image on the cross. So that you and I know our Savior is coming to us not without understanding what we are going through. He's coming to us because he understands what we are going through. Isn't this salvation more powerful to change us? Jesus is identifying with that man and us on the cross. This amazing preacher uh, puts this even more beautifully. It's called John Piper. He says, in the end, Satan and all his pain serves to magnify the power, wisdom, love, grace, mercy, patience, and the wrath of Jesus Christ. We would not know him in, in the fullness of his glory if he had not defeated Satan in the way that he did. My question this morning to those of us who are exploring Jesus or those of us who are probably, I mean, don't care much about Jesus is he's there in our lives. Would you like to embrace a God who knows exactly what you're going through? Would you like to embrace a God who's been through exactly and more of what we're going through? who can empathize you, who knows your fears and, and, and more importantly, he knows the mess in our hearts. He knows the broken and wounded man inside of us because he related with us on the cross. He's defeated all of it on the cross, purchasing eternal freedom for you and I. Would you like to embrace Jesus this morning would you like to come one step closer to him this morning
for those of us who are followers of Jesus, when was the last time we actually looked at the image of the man who's living inside of us? When was the last time we've acknowledged all the hurt, all the bruises, all the brokenness inside us? Here's, here's the truth, friends. The, unless we, un, until we not acknowledge and recognize this broken man inside of us, we will be ignorant of our own mess and the constant attack of the evil one. Throughout the Bible, the, the constant exhortation for the followers of Jesus is be vigilant, be aware. Be aware. In fact, calls the evil, he goes around like a roaring lion. How many of us, how many of us are aware of this? How many of us are fighting our battles on our knees in front of the Savior saying, Jesus, I need you. I know this guy is a roaring lion, but my lion is the victorious one. One who has the ultimate say over sin, over evil, over death. Can we fight our battles on our knees? Can we take it to Jesus? Can we, can we be aware of the evil around us? It's not just our responsibility to pray for attacks against us. It's our responsibility to cover our homes. It's our responsibility to cover our workplaces. It's our responsibility to cover our city, our country. How are we fighting these battles. Allow me to pray. Jesus, we want to thank you because the way you displayed power in destroying evil blows our mind. You didn't just come and, and, and speak one word and destroy it. You came. You were tempted like us. You stood that temptation but you destroyed it by actually bearing the punishment that we should have borne on that cross when you hung. That display of power is, is blowing our mind and drawing us to worship this morning. Jesus, we recognize that the one in the world is great, but we also know that you are in us and you in us is greater than the devil in the world. Forgive us, Lord, for not being aware. Forgive us, Lord, for not being vigilant, for not being watchful, for living as if all that matters is, is what we can feel and touch and, and our own lives and our own um, struggles. Forgive us for not being aware of this, this present evil whom you defeated. Forgive us, Lord, for not coming to our knees in prayer and running to you. Jesus, this morning, we bow to your powerful name. We bow to your matchless name. In your name, darkness trembles. In your name, fear is overthrown. In your name, devil is defeated. 
So we bow down, we come under the covering of your victory, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.